Did that week actually already happen? I mean, I, I, we should have videoed it. I know I should have videoed it, so at least it wouldn't seem like such a blur. Um, I can't believe that we already had Christmas come and go. Man. Uh, I, I owe you an apology because it came and went so fast. My sermon is short. Now, I hope that all that smiling is like you saying, I accept your apology, Mike, <laughs> and that you're not excited that I have a short sermon, but, uh, but I do. There's a German soldier who was wounded, and he uh, was ordered to go to the hospital, and so he went to the hospital. When he got there, there was two doors. There was a door that said, uh, for the slightly wounded, and another door that said, for the seriously wounded. So he entered into the first door, just slightly wounded. And when he got there, he, there was this long hallway. So he just walked and walked and walked, seemed like he walked long ways. He got to two more doors, and the other two doors, it says, uh, for officers, and the other door says, for non-officers. So he went into the latter, the non-officer door. And then there's just another long hallway. And so he's just walking and walking and walking. And he finally gets to two more doors. And then one of them said for party members. And the other said for non-party members. And so he went through the non-party members. And then he found himself on the street. He's just like, wow, this is crazy. So he goes home and his mom, you know, is concerned about him. And she says, did you go to the hospital? Did, every, did they, you know, fix you up? And he's like, mom, it was a best experience ever, but no, I didn't get anybody to care for me. He says, but man, they are organized there. <laughs> anyway, the, the guy who shared that story uh, some time back that I heard, he was just talking about, you know, the church can be like that. It can be a place that is so organized, but really it doesn't accomplish what it was needing to accomplish. We started this year, 2020, looking into it, super positive, and I just remember that God gave us this, like, vision of what to focus on, and it was, you know, his vision, uh, my mission, or his mission, my vision, <laughs> uh, was our, our focus. We didn't have a clue what was going to happen, you know, at the beginning of this, but, um, but I want us to kind of conclude with that same thought, because... It is his mission that needs to become our vision. And the church has to become effective. And I just want to kind of conclude with, with, with just this positive outlook because I do see it, and I'm going to end with it here in my sermon in a minute. But there's something positive that has come out of this. And God always brings positive out of the bad, right? He always is, he's the only one that can do this. And so we just went through a really tough year. But I do think that there is something we can be focusing on and be positive about going into the next year. Uh, not just hopefully getting rid of this uh, corona stuff. But, um, and so I want us to do that. I don't want us to be a church who is just organized but doesn't accomplish much. Um, and uh, I want us to be effective. And I know you guys do too. You know, when you have good news, it's hard to keep it to yourself. I found that out this week. Uh, I don't know how many of you got to see it on Facebook, but I'm going to be a grandpa. And I'm pretty excited, yes. 
But I've known that for several weeks now, standing up here in front of you all. And man, has that been tough on me. And I haven't done real good. There's a few of you that already knew. (laughs) Very few. But I kind of, you know, how do you keep stuff that's good in? And God has given us such good news. You know, a birth announcement too, right? And we're just coming out of that. And for us to... Uh, just remember what we have to share with the world. And for us not to let that enthusiasm to die out is important. So I want us to go to Mark chapter 2. That's going to be our text for today, Mark chapter 2. Mark didn't really get to get into the Christmas story. But we're going to kind of squeeze him in here at the end anyway. So Mark chapter 2, starting verse 1, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic laid. And when Jesus came, when when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is a blasphemer. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Well, Westside, there's, there's three things I think that we can learn from these four guys, you know, that let down this paralytic right in front of Jesus. And by doing so, what happened? Their friend not only got healed from his physical ailment, but he was forgiven of his sins. And I think there's, there's three things I want us to learn from. And that is, one, is they had a place to take their friend. They had a place to take him. I mean, they had a plan. They, they, I don't know if this was planned out the day before. Hey, Jesus is coming to town. Because our scripture starts, you know, that he, got, he came back home. I think the NIV says that. The New American, I mean, the the ESV says that when he was at home, but uh, but they knew Jesus was coming. Maybe maybe they planned it ahead of time. Maybe they woke up that morning and and over coffee come up with this. Maybe they just had to, you know, uh, I don't know how they communicated back then. Just run to each other's homes. Um, but uh, anyway, they came up with a plan, and the plan was is let's take him to church. I think that I consider it church just because of what it says there. It says, and when he returned to Capernaum one day, he was reported that he was at home. 
You know where church is? Wherever Jesus is, right? Isn't it his church? Isn't he the head of the church? And so wherever Jesus is is where church is. And this is church. Because I believe that every time we come together, this is where Jesus is. That's why we partake of this communion that we're going to here in just a little bit is because it's all about Jesus. And, and I believe that they were taking their friend to church that day. Um, that's where Jesus was preaching, by the way. That's another thing that happens at church, isn't it? It is preaching the word, and that's what was going on here. It tells us that, that uh, he began to preach and to teach uh, the people there. Uh, it's also where you, you find um, a way of being forgiven of your sins. That's why we have a baptistry right here in the back, so we can baptize people into Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, as it says in Acts chapter 2. Church is a pretty amazing thing. And it was the plan of these guys. They had a place to take their friend, a place uh, that was you know, where Jesus was. And I think that for us to not forget, you know, how we entered into this, this year, his mission, our vision, what is his mission? His mission is to continue to establish the church, continue to build the church, continue to bring people into the church that need his healing and his salvation and his forgiveness. How does that happen? Same way that it happened here. It takes people actually coming up with a plan. Our friend needs us. Actually, our friend needs Jesus. And we can introduce them, you know, to Jesus. And it's still done the same way. I'm going to conclude this way, but I remember reading through one of Bob Russell's uh, books. That's, that's uh, The Purpose Driven Church. And in that, he said that I mean, they were at, when they were at 14,000 people in their church, it was started in just a really small church center in Louisville, Kentucky. At 14,000, they did a survey of their church and found out that 90% of those 14,000 were in church because somebody invited them to church. Somebody took them to church. Uh, it's still done that way, y'all. I mean, if... if, if if we're going to continue the mission of God, and we're going to continue to grow, and we we'll continue to flourish, then it's going to take us understanding that we have a place to take our friends. Now, before we get too deep into that, I don't want us to lose focus on the, on, on the obvious, and the obvious is, is Jesus is the main thing of the church. You know, we don't bring people to church just because it's a good organized place, you know, or, you know, they have coffee there, it's free, or anything like that. We bring them to church to introduce them to Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that can save them. That's why it says in verse 5, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Nobody else could have done that. You know, you bring somebody to church, I can't forgive them of their sins. Neither can you, neither can the the, uh, uh, elders. The priest can't forgive people of their sins. The the Buddhists can't forgive. I mean, I don't care who you bring up. Only person that can forgive, and I know you know this, but is Jesus. He's the only one that has authority to forgive sins, and that's what he says. So that you know that I have the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. I'll I'll just make this guy get up and walk. And he did. And he showed that he has authority to forgive sins. 
But the question is, is what is the plan for getting your, your friend face-to-face with Jesus? Getting him in a place where Jesus can have a conversation with your friend. For your friend to experience the, the saving grace of Christ. What is the plan? I think church is a good place. I think it is, has so much potential. I think it has been the tool that God has used to save more people than any other tool that we have ever used. It's even better than Facebook and any other social media platform. And I'm not against any of those. But the church will always be the place that you put your friend right in front of Jesus. It's just the way that God designed it. He's the one that designed it. It's Jesus who has created the church. And there's just something powerful about it, and we need to recognize that it is still a great place to bring your friend when they need Jesus. Years ago, uh, Gandhi has always been famous for criticizing Christians, and this is, I've read a couple different ones. They all have the exact same flavor, so I don't know exactly what he said, but this is kind of what he said about Christians. He says, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces. You turn turn the world upside down to bring peace to a battle-torn planet, but you treat it as nothing more than a piece of good literature. Now, I don't know what he said, but I, I think it, would, it, it was obviously something to that effect. And he is so right, isn't he? I mean, the, the Word of God is living and active. Uh, uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that it is the power of salvation. Uh, that is where we learn about Jesus and what we need to do, that we need to be baptized into Jesus. I, it, it's it's a powerful stuff, the, the Word of God. And yet we undervalue it. We treat it like it's just good literature, and so it collects dust most of the time. But I don't think it's just the Bible that we neglect or that we undervalue. I think we undervalue the church. And the power that the church has. There's a reason that we give credit to Jesus. Because only Jesus could use the church as powerfully as he does. Without Christ, man, the thing would fall apart. I'm amazed that it even exists. But it continues to exist. Because Jesus, it's his, it's his body. He's going to protect his body. He's going to use his body to accomplish great things. And, and this is still just a great place to bring people who need to come face-to-face with Jesus. And these four knew that. They knew, like, Jesus is home. Let's take him to his house. Now, I don't think this was Jesus' house, although the ESV says when he was at home. I think it's more like what the NIV says, that when he came back home, uh, because Jesus didn't have a house that I'm pretty confident I'm like really confident in that, and that's just my opinion. But, but uh, uh, he didn't need a house. He just needed a place, you know, to worship God and to, to be able to preach and to teach. Uh, and this is his house right here. And this is still a place that you can bring your friends and introduce them to Jesus. And you have to have a plan. If not here, Where? If you don't have a plan, where would you take your friend? 
that needs Jesus. I mean, I'm fine with him. Take him to, take him to your house. But just make sure Jesus is there because if you take him to your house and Jesus isn't there, then it's not going to do your friend any good because you can't forgive them, can you? You can't heal them. And so it's still a good place. This is what it tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So this is Paul talking. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, it's something he always said, wasn't it? The grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden of ages in God who created all things. Look at verse 10. So that through, what does it say? So that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might, ne- might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's through the church that the, that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. What is the manifold wisdom of God? That Jesus came into this world as a child through Mary, the virgin birth. He grew up, he sacrificed himself, they, they crucified him, they buried him, and God rose him back from the grave. And through that, that whole thing, we call it the gospel, the good news. That is what saves all of us. And it, how does that get magnified? It's through the church. The church is the proclaimers of that. The church continues to share that ministry, that gospel, that good news. And so when we are the church, we are doing that. And so we have a plan. You know, when we find people, our friends who are in a bad predicament like this guy was, that he has friends that care enough to make sure that they take him to church so that they can introduce him to Jesus. You know, when people love their church, it shows, doesn't it? And it's not just because they wear the shirts that say, I love my church, although I think that's cool. Um, It's more than that. You just know because they can't quit talking about it. You just know because they always are inviting people. You know, Jolie had her, when we did our Christmas thing, uh, when you guys came, oh my goodness, I've never seen that girl. I mean, she's been excited about being in church, but she was so excited. She had both sides of her grandparents and her uncles and, and then people here. And she was just up and down these hallways, you know, because she was so excited. When, when somebody's excited about their church, you just know it. And that's the way it should be for us. We, we have an awesome church. And we should be making sure everybody on Facebook knows that we love our church. We should be letting all of our friends know we should love our church because it will pave a way for when those friends of yours need Jesus, you got to come to my church. you gotta come in, You got to come where I go. And it just makes an easy, you know, a pave-the-way kind of approach. Here's the second thing. So they had a plan. And that was to take their friend to church. Here's the second thing is they work together. 
Working together is always more effective, isn't it? I mean, if you've ever been involved in any sport, uh, unless it's a sport that is just about you, <laughs> but even then, I bet you could find a way that you're working together with a coach, you know, or other teammates that are competing against the same thing like swimming. You're still working together as, as people challenging each other and moving each other forward. But anyway, sports is such a great analogy because you always have to work together to achieve your goal. And the, and the church should be seen that way. When the Bible is always talking about the church being a body and it's made up of many parts, it's trying to help you understand that your body works together to accomplish things. And, and Paul was always using sports as an analogy of the church as well because of what I just was talking about. But it is such a, the church is something that is the, it's most powerful it, create, it gets accomplished the most things when we work together. And we had such an amazing turnout when we decorated this church. I don't know when we're going to not, I mean, de-decorate. Tonight, there we go. Hey. Uh, but when a lot of people show up, it just, is, it just takes all the pressure off. It, just, it, it gives energy to the, the coming together and what you're coming together for when everybody's participating. It, it, it accomplishes more in a shorter amount of time. Uh, but working together is so important. And these guys did. In verse 4 it says, And when they could not get near him, so that was the problem, wasn't it? Their friend came to church, but they can, his friend could not get near to Jesus by himself. Couldn't just drop him off at the door and wish him well. But they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. You think it took four people to do that? I'm thinking so. In fact, I can't help but think that it was more than just the four. Have you ever come like to some kind of gathering in the fellowship hall and after it's over, everybody, you just realize, man, they're, they're, they're putting everything away. They're putting chairs away and tables away and stuff like that. Have you ever been, like, maybe if you knew they were going to do that, you would have exited sooner, right? <laughs> but, uh, but because they're doing this right in front of your face, what do you do? Do you just pull up a chair and, I'm going to just watch this play out. How many of you would, like, just participate? You would just start putting chairs away, tables away, wiping things down. Just start participating in that. Yeah, I know. I know what would happen is all of you would. I mean, you would just feel like a heel if you just kind of leaned up against the, the thing and just started watching. Now, sometimes other people are in conversation, which is all churchy stuff too, right? I mean, but if you were just not doing anything, you would want to participate in helping because you would just feel bad if you didn't. That's the way it should be in the church. You see, when, you, when four guys bring their friend to church, all of a sudden you realize what's going on there. Like there's a purpose that's going on. And I can't help but thinking when they brought their paralytic, all carried him up on, the, on top of that roof which would have been a chore in the first place. Maybe everybody's just watching what's going on. But by the time they're starting to separate and tear, I think they're probably getting some help, don't you? Like, I know what they're up to. I'm going to help them. I believe that Jesus can do something for this guy. I'm going to help them. 
And I think they probably had some participation. Hopefully they had some participation putting it back together when it was all said and done uh, for the sake of whoever owned the house. But, but I just think that that's the way it ought to be in the church, right? You know when somebody's new in the church. And you know who's even who brought them. Like, oh, the Metzger's brought somebody new to church. Or, or, or the, the um, Hamlin's brought somebody new to church. And it should instantly be our cue to do what? Let's participate in this because I know what they're up to. They're just trying to make sure that they have a good experience here. Let's make sure that they have a good experience here. Let's see if I can find something I have in common with these new people in church. Maybe they, maybe they like some of the things, same things I like. Maybe we can have a conversation there. Maybe I can just encourage them as they you know, walk out and make sure that they know where things are or whatever it is. But, but for us always to know that we're working together to accomplish the same thing. And that is just helping this person that come in these doors to meet Jesus face to face. And how is it they know that they found a place that Jesus resides? It's through us. How is it that the church is, is, God is seen through the church? It's by how we participate. It's through us the manifold wisdom of God is made known. It's because we are participating together. You know, the biggest thing I always think of when I think of just working together in, in church, I can't help but always think of this J. Russell Morris. I've talked to you about him before, but you know, you just have those, those things that happen in your life that will always stay with you. They're just ingrained, and every time a certain topic is brought up, that's what you think of. Is, and that's the way it is with, with coming together and working together as a church. When I was a, um, a college student at Ozark, I started working for this lady. Her name was Ruth Johnson. I didn't know Ruth. I mean, I don't, I don't remember exactly how she found out about me needing a, a little side job, but she did. Um, and I went out to her house there by Webb City, and she had a nice home. Um, had this, like, upper deck in the back. It was really kind of cool. But in the, she had all these kennels. She raised poodles. And I was constantly helping her, you know, bring these poodles into the world through their mamas and and then she, when they got old enough, she would put them in these uh, carriers, and I'd have to take them to the airport, and she'd have these things flown all over the place. I mean, these were some pretty high-dollar poodles. But Ruth Johnson eventually had her dad come and live with her. And he was an old guy. In fact, he was about 90 when he came to live with her, 90, 91. And part of my job then ended up becoming not just helping her with the poodles and some of the stuck hair around the house, but also with her dad. Um, she he get a little bit cantankerous with her when, because, you know, trying to bathe him and shave him, he just felt uncomfortable with that whole thing. Um, and I, you know, I think all of us can understand that situation. And so she asked me if I would start doing that, would help him get his showers and shave him and stuff like that. And I did, and he was completely fine with me helping him do this. And, man, the first time I met this guy, he was like, just everything out of his mouth was Scripture. I was like, Ruth, how much Scripture does your dad know? She says, I think he could probably just write it all, the whole Bible completely out. 
Uh, but, I mean, he was just constantly just saying stuff. But he was also, he'd come out, and he'd, he'd be scooting out, you know, out on this deck that was on the upper level, and he'd be watching me do some work out there in the yard. And he'd say, Sonny, come here. And so he, he'd have me come there, and I, he says, I want you to go to town and get another person and come back and do what you're doing. I'm like, Mr. Russell, I, I can, I mean, Mr. Morris, I can do this. It's not that big a deal. He says, no, you need to have somebody that you're working beside. And I said, well, I, I don't need anybody. And, of course, I know his, his daughter because she would come screaming out if she ever knew he was doing this. No, don't go get anybody. I can't afford anybody else, you know. And she'd always straighten it out. And so I was always trying to, you know, lead him. And he says, no, you need somebody. He says, who are you going to talk to Jesus while you're working out there? And I was like, well, that's a good point. He says, and, and you need encouragement too, and you need to be working with somebody. You should never work by yourself. And he told me this all the time. He always tried to go get me to get somebody. And Ruth was always trying to tell me, no, don't go get somebody. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he passed away at 92, and all of a sudden things started clicking with me. They were doing his funeral service at Ozark Christian College. I didn't know that they would be doing his funeral service. I didn't even know who J. Russell Morris was. All of a sudden, I began to get introduced to this guy. He was one of the, they went to, he and his wife, uh, Gertrude, went to uh, China in 1921. They were one of our first missionaries of the Christian Church, Church of Christ. Went to the uh, Leilu uh, people which was in like the deep forest of China, uh, and just start evangelizing these people. And there's other missionaries, obviously, where they're evangelizing these people over the years, but they were one of the first. He was, he was one of the very first people ever to introduce to China, especially in this deep woods of China, um, fruit trees. And they brought oranges and grapefruits and, and things like that, and it just made a huge difference to their health and, and stuff of the people. Um, in uh, 2008, I think it was, yeah, 2008, the Chinese religious affairs um, were debating to make Christianity the main religion of this people group. Uh, that's just amazing that they've had that much influence. This they are, the Morrises are seven, eight generations deep now working with the Leilu people. He spent 16 months in prison because they tried to kick him out, you know, uh, during the communist uh, time. Uh, they ended up, they're in Thai, Thailand is where most of them operate now, the Morrises. But I was just learning all this stuff. I was just like, this guy, I had no idea. You know, I mean, this is like an Abraham kind of man uh, that was right there, and I was shaven and helped bathe, and I just had no idea what a giant in the faith that this guy was. And he was telling me his advice was, you need to have somebody working beside you all the time. Um, and it just has always ring true in the church. You know, if, if it's just a few of us working, we're not going to accomplish near as much as if all of us are participating working together to accomplish this, which is the last thing I want to say about this, is not only did they have a plan, a place to go, and that is to bring their friend to church, and not only when they got to church did they have, you know, 
they had to work together themselves, but they also, I think, had other people there working with them and helping them uh, accomplish this. But they, they were willing to participate. And that's so important. You know, these guys, I don't know who they were. They don't say that in the ESV, don't say that they were friends. It just says four men brought this man, right? Maybe this man was just on the street on their way to see Jesus. And maybe these four guys didn't even know each other. I don't know. But the four of them had to have made a decision at some point in time that I'm going to participate, right? Um, and I think that's so important. This man could have not uh, got to where he needed to go on his own. Uh, they needed to work together, but ultimately they had to decide if they were going to follow through or not. Verse 3, it says, and they came. Super important, I think. When it says, and they came bringing a paralytic man. Because then I want you to look at verse 5. And when Jesus saw what? Their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. I think that there's something key about that. I don't really know how to unlock it completely, but shouldn't it have said when Jesus saw his faith like the paralytics? But it doesn't, does it? You think it was a typo? I think, I think it isn't a typo. I think that when Jesus saw their faith, it made a big impression upon him. And it was through Jesus seeing their faith that eventually this man's sins were forgiven and he was able to walk and go home. And it's just a really important thing for us to understand that we have to decide not to just be people who come to this building and not just be people who bring people to this building and not be just people that work together, but also that we are constantly making the choice to be participants. God will help us navigate through all of the unknowns and stuff as we become just participants. You know, I'm going to give you a couple illustrations of this just recently and something that I think I see. You know, I think that God has given me some vision into this a little bit. But Lori, she, every month she has to have her blood work done at the, at the hospital um, because she's on antibiotics, has been, maybe will be forever. We don't know when that will ever end. But, but because of that, she has to get her blood work done once a month at the hospital. They send it up to Kansas City to her doctor up there, the, the in, infectious disease doctor. And then she okays it, and then we just continue to, to do that. When she went down there the other day to do her blood work, she was able to get in through pretty quick, um, and we were heading to uh, Owasso to finish up our Christmas shopping, so this was Monday, and uh, anyway, um, she came out, and she says, you know, I had the most interesting conversations with a, a lady there, and I said, well, what? She says, well, she was just asking me about Christmas. Do you have plans for Christmas and stuff like this, and, you know, I was telling her, and she says, well, I'm so excited. This is the first time I've I'm going to celebrate Christmas for seven years or eight years? Eight years. And I was just like, wow, that's crazy. First time. 
I said, was she young? I said, no, she's an uh, older, middle-aged older lady. Um, I said, well, why? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> I said, well, you didn't ask her? She said, well, I didn't want to be nosy, you know. I said, well, I don't know, Lori. I said, when somebody says that to you, you know, like, hey, this will be the first time, you know, what are you doing for Christmas, all this, you know, talk, and then what she is the one who initiates, and then she says, this will be the first time in years. I think she was just dying for somebody to ask, don't you? Like, she was just, she was just fishing, leading you into that whole conversation. She said, well, I just didn't want to be nosy. I said, well, I get that, and and I do, I get that, that Lori is very polite in that way. But I would have asked, when you've asked, I mean, I'm curious. You know this lady? Maybe you can tell me later what you found out. I don't know. But I'm curious about why she, did she forfeit celebrating Christmas the last, you know, seven years? Um, and now she's going to. Um, curious. But anyway, so that happened. We went to Owasso. And on the way back, we stopped at Love's to get gas. And so I'm pumping gas. And the guy that, that's sweeping the broom, he just... He's clear across, I mean, just like over a long ways, further than Matthew, just sweeping. And all of a sudden, he just picks up his broom and just starts heading my way. And I thought, well, he's coming to dump the trash or something. He came over, and he just stood there and started talking to me. And he just says, you know why we're sweeping? I said, no. He says, well, the boss man's coming. I said, he is. And, he said, and this is a guy, you know, probably in his 30s or so. He says, yeah, we got to make it look good. He says, but not that we don't always make it look good. <laughs> it's always looking good around. He says, you know, this is the best place to work. I said, is it really? He says, yeah. He says, you know, I, they've kept me working here the whole time that this pandemic's going on. And, and, and we get, you know, these rewards. And he explained that a little bit. And, and he was just going through all this stuff. He said, this is a great place to work. And I was like, wow, I, I'm glad. But the whole time I'm just like, why is this happening? You know what I mean? Like, I was just got out and just was pumping gas, and this guy, complete stranger to me, just walks over and just starts having this conversation with me. And I got in the car, and I'm just trying to figure this out, and all of a sudden I just felt like that God was talking to me, and then Lori and I started having this conversation. Because both of these were almost like back-to-back a little bit here, and I just think... I think people are wanting to have connectedness, like even with strangers, if that's what it needs to be. Just like, like we've been pinned up for a long time now, and people have, some people have been super lonely, and some people just feel like they have not really got, you know, the, the contacts like they would want. And this lady, I don't know why she, you know, during a pandemic of all things, Four for the last seven years, but now she's having Christmas. I don't know. Did she get married? I mean, I don't, we don't know any of that kind of stuff. But, but she was definitely wanting to share with a stranger what was going on in her life, in her world. This guy was definitely wanting to share with a stranger just normal stuff going on in his life. And I think, church, this is going to be a year if we are looking for opportunities now, neither one of us really made good on those opportunities, right? Because here's people that just come to us wanting to talk. How easy would it have been to bring up Jesus in a conversation like that? When they come to you, 
in the midst of that. Or to just dive into a conversation and just make it lead to something a little deeper. I just think there's a lot of people out there that are just waiting for four people to show up and help them through a roof, lead them right to Jesus. And I think that it, the, the harvest is ripe more so than we've had in a long time. And I think that's the good that can come out of this, but we could forfeit that if we're not careful. I think God wants us to see it. And I just want to make it known right from the beginning, I think there's something stirring in our community and people around us. There's going to be conversations that are just going to be easy to have that maybe weren't easy before a pandemic. Um, and people that are be hungering for just friendship and, and uh, relationships. And I think it's going to be easier if we'll just make good in it. Now, I realize that this might be a little premature, but I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. I'm amazed that there's not... When we first started this pandemic, did you notice, church, that we had strangers just coming through our door? It's just like, wow. We have a pandemic and there's people. But we've lost that. But I think that they're just waiting for an invitation. And I think they're just waiting for conversations to happen. And it's our job just to be looking for these people that need Jesus. So, let me pray, and then we're going to move to our communion time. Father God, we thank you so much for how you are always working, how it is you that is always the one who is really advancing your mission, your church. It is you that only can offer forgiveness and salvation to people, but it is our job that you have placed upon us, our responsibility that you have burdened us with to, to make sure that these people get to a place to hear from you, to come face to face and have an interaction and an experience with you. So, Father, help us just see the church the way that you would see it, a place to just mag magnify you and what you are up to. Help us to work together, Father, when we see this being played out, somebody bringing somebody to church. Help us be participants, Father, all of us. And just look for opportunities and make good of these opportunities that just fall in our lap most of the time. God, we just thank you that we get to be a part of your church. Help us to continue to promote it and promote Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, You know, we just stepped out of a, a time that I think out of, as a whole, uh, all of us were just like focused on others more than we're focused on ourselves. Isn't that what Christ, I mean, Christmas is about? It's what Christianity is about. But it's what Christmas is about. I mean, you're you're constantly just like, what am I going to buy them? What am I going to buy them? How are we going to... 
have the house? What are we going to do when we're all together? I mean, you're just constantly just thinking this way. And I think, you know, there's those songs that talk about um, uh, just how awesome the Christmas season is. Uh, and I think there is because, and the love in the air and all that kind of stuff. And I think there is because you're so focused on other people. You're wanting people to enjoy. You're wanting the kids to enjoy. You're wanting your guests to enjoy it. You're, you're, you're wanting it to be a, a good gift that, that they will appreciate and stuff like this. And so because of that, I think there's just so much love that is felt, so many blessings that are felt that is just different. Not that it can't be in other parts of the year, but it's different because we're all doing it at the same time. And I just think that that's pretty awesome. I really think that that's part of what communion is. is It is a time that uh, we are so other-focused um, that it ends up becoming such a, a blessing. And here's what I mean by that. This started with one person being other-focused. You know, that's what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Like down um, verse 5, it's having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And isn't this a, a pretty amazing time just because of that unselfishness and because somebody decided that I'm going to make it all about other people? And that's what he did. He humbled himself. He, he, he took a, a, a servant attitude to serve other people. And because of that, this is what we have. And aren't you blessed because of that act? And I just love that the passage because before it, this is what Paul is trying to get the church to do. He says, so, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if you got anything from Christ being, you know, focusing on you, any comfort from his love, any participation in his spirit, any affliction or sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition, he says, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. I don't know. There's just some really cool things that happen when people do that, when they're like Jesus and they just begin to be focused on other people. And that's really, we just come out of the Christmas season doing that, and there's good things that have happened in our world because of that kind of attitude and probably in your family because of that attitude. And that's really what this is about too because what is it that we are reminded to be like him when we come to a time like this? And those four guys, they definitely were like that, right? They were being completely unselfish by being concerned enough about this, whether he was a stranger or he was their buddy that lives next door they brought this person and placed him in front of Jesus. So when we come to this time, you know, we, we realize how much we benefit from it. But when we realize how much we benefit from it, then it's our turn to go and share. 
and make it about other people. And so do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not at his own interests, but also at the interests of others. And that's what our focus is today, is making sure that we're not leaving people behind just because we're focused on us. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this communion and everything that it represents. But today, in particular, it represents the unselfishness of Jesus, his willingness to look at our own interests and not his own, to sacrifice on our behalf, to give himself up. And in turn, Father, I pray that it would just help us also to have that same attitude as we not only partake, but as we leave here this morning. So, Father, we just thank you so much how you have taught us how to love and how to bless. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.